Welcome to another episode of Big Sky Big Face, brought to you by the Big Sky Podcast Network. We're just about halfway through the men's basketball season, and for our midterm report, we're joined by Rusty Kramer of the Eagles Power Hour, Colby Peterson from Weber State Weekly, and Lance Hartzler from the Mid-Major Madness Podcast. I'm Brian Marceau from Tubbs of the Club, and to start with, we're going to jump right into the thick of what I call the most up-and-down looking season I've seen in the big in Big Sky basketball for really a long time. And what I'm curious to hear about first from Rusty is what to you is your biggest surprise or let's say pleasant surprise? What is the most pleasant surprise of the first half of our season so far to you, Rusty? Well, I'm glad you phrased it pleasant surprise because uh, it wasn't necessarily a surprise for me, but pleasant because I was right. Uh, and that's with Montana State being a, a solid competitor competitor going into the season. I think everybody kind of thought uh, breaking down the list, it was, you know, Eastern Montana, whatever order you want to put them in. And then after that, it was kind of a jumble. And you, people are picking teams, uh, you know, uh, maybe a Southern Utah maybe Weber State or maybe a Montana State, it was which the team that I had. And watching Montana State, I mean, they're currently, you know, first in the Big Sky Conference. They're undefeated in the Big Sky Conference. And a lot of people, some people would say, yeah, well, they're winning a lot of their games, you know, really closely. I mean, five of the six games, they've only won by eight points. But to me, that's, you know, they're winning the games in the trenches, especially once we get closer to the Big Sky, you know, conference tournament. And they've shown that they can win, you know, uh, under some adversity. I mean, they have dudes that can play at all levels with, uh, you know, Bello, Xavier Bishop, who's playing out of his mind right now with 15.6 points per game. I mean, there's currently, you know, third in the big sky in scoring with 74.9 points per game. I mean, they're playing absolutely phenomenal basketball. They're forcing opponents to shoot right around 39%, which is first in the big sky. I mean, they're absolutely taking care of business and they're getting wins and they're showing the results. Lance, you're going to go in a different direction or are you on the Bobcat bandwagon? Kind of similar. It's not quite Montana State. It's more so that Eastern Washington has competition. I like how they're not just blowing through the conference, specifically Southern Utah. I love what they've been able to do this year, short shorts included, that this team, we knew Harrison Butler was good. We knew John Knight was good. Tevian Jones coming into his own this year. When Southern Utah is good, they are so much fun to watch when they're bad. Yeah, they're kind of gross, but what other team in the base guy isn't gross when they're bad. Southern Utah has been able to actually compete. They won a very exciting, very fun game against Eastern Washington, where it was what 99 to 94 or something like that. A super high scoring game. Yeah. 99, 94, two weeks ago. Southern Utah has been fun. Like I just love what they've been able to put together. And it's kind of sad because they're leaving for the whack the year after next. You know, Lance, you absolutely stole a little bit of my thunder, but I'm going to double down on the job Todd Simon's <laughs> done at Southern Utah. We in Moscow, we don't have a ton of good news to talk about. So I've spent some time deep diving on what rebuilds actually look like because you can only talk about how bad the team is so often before you want to give up on your show. And you, Southern Utah for the last five years, it's been steady improvement. You know, it's not like an overnight thing, but they went from Todd Simon's first year, bottom of the conference to over the next couple of years, they, you know, they, they really look like the big skies imitation of New Mexico state, but I, I'd say like the low end projection of New Mexico state is what they look like. And this year, man, they've taken a jump and Te- you, Tevian Jones is probably 
of the players I've been able to see in conference, which I've <clears> caught in just about, just about a little of every team this year for sure. Tevian Jones is, to me, probably the most fun player in the conference. He's one of our – he's like the big sky. Is, this is going to sound like hyperbole because it is, but just, in, again, big sky context here. I kind of like the big sky is Kevin Durant in that he's a scoring wing who can shoot. And it's pretty, it's not shocking in the big sky for some of our best athletes who are transfers to, again, they, they can they can jump. They, they're, running, they're running sprint athletes, but they aren't always necessarily um, as skilled on the perimeter. Or they're skilled on perimeter, but they're not – the best athlete and he he kind of puts puts it together but he, he has the whole package and seeing southern utah you know again downside they have like the worst announcer in the league in my mind but um southern utah actually making the step to respectable and when i say respectable i mean they're they're competing for a top three spot they're absolutely in discussion for top three that to me is is really the my most pleasant surprise but uh colby what about you yeah, no joke. Like you said, SUU. I mean, we just saw them last weekend. Uh, you know, we had a home and home with them here in Ogden and then down in Cedar. And, you know, last year when they came to the Purple Palace, we knew that, you know, maybe we were up against a tough team because we did, we basically had guard play last year. It was a bit of a struggle and we beat them, which was a surprise. So, like you said, steady growth in Cedar City. And they've got some really nice pieces down there. Todd Simon, credit to him. He really turned it around in that second game against Weber State. And, uh, you know, we ended up losing that game in Cedar. But for me, the biggest surprise, I think I, I, I came up with the Northern Colorado. And here's why. Uh, Northern Colorado lost some some really important pieces uh, to graduation. You know, they lost Jonah Radabaugh, who was a really great player for them. And so it was like, ah, I don't really know what to expect from this team. Right. Like uh, maybe middle of the pack, maybe something a little bit less than that. But I think that we found that they've been a really resilient team. Like I was looking over their record and I haven't had an opportunity to watch everybody play this year. But, you know, once they finally got into their, because the first three games they had got all got canceled and they had some good, you know, they had SEMO was on there, Arizona. But once they got into it, you know, they had a quality win against Denver, you know, close game against Utah State, which I was a little bit jealous because I had wanted to, you know, a crack at Utah State and that game unfortunately got canceled for Weber State because of COVID. But, you know, a good showing. They always seem to get a split. You know, they always seem to find a way to just grind one out, except for the series against Montana State. You know, they lose two there, but they just they just find a way to win, man. And, you know, they have a, a decent win against Eastern Washington, which I think everybody we kind of talked about it here. Everybody's looking at Eastern Washington as the odds on favorite to win the conference. And I think that's still the case in spite of COVID-19. But they just find a way. And so I've been surprised by them as like, wow, this is a this is a dark horse. This is a dangerous team that you can't just look past if you're going for a series in Greeley or if they're going to come visit you. Which that just reminds me of something. I, I got to throw it to Rusty for this. Not only did you, you talk about the, the game last weekend, the uh, I'm pretty sure Eastern's not not exactly stoked about how that, that ended. Of course, Northern Colorado is a good team. That was a pretty wild end. But in relation to pleasant surprise and, of course, stuff on the court, there's another pleasant surprise to me. And Rusty talked about it off screen on Twitter. We got to talk about the Big Sky short game. And when I say shorts, I mean length of athletic shorts. <laughs> there's there's one noteworthy team, and I'm not going to comment on them because I want to hear Rusty spit fire on them. But before Rusty gives the the deep dive on the fashion trend, you got to watch for. It's not just in one state, man. This is across across multiple teams. I got some players I can reference who are not on the team that Rusty's going to talk about in a second. But I, I probably can't hold listeners in su suspense that much longer. Rusty, shorts in the big sky, man. 
So let me kind of set the scene for you. You know, today I had you know an old classic, something that you could just go to every time. And it's just good every single time. And that was a PB&J. You know, when we look at basketball, old classics, you think of short shorts, right? John Stockton, uh, Magic, uh, Larry Bird, right? The classics, the guys playing the hoops. Well, we saw a transition in the 90s with the Fab Five being like Mike Space Jam, where the shorts started to get longer and longer. Then you have Stephen Marbury, TJ Ford, which his shorts went up to the upper ankle. And now we're starting to see the shorts go the other direction with Southern Utah. Uh, we saw it last year with Harrison Butler. That was noted a couple of times. But today, or this year, uh, John Knight III, who's an absolute baller, he, he's one of my favorite players in the big sky. He's taken it to a whole nother level. It's not even mid-thigh. It's not even upper thigh. It's whatever is past upper thigh. And I totally get it. I mean, there's players like Kelly Oubre, uh, you know, plays in the NBA, man. I get it. But there comes a point and I posted this on Twitter and I, I met some resistance right away and I felt the resistance, but I'm going to hold the line. Uh, I feel like I'm, I'm in enemy territory right now. And that's kind of where my stance is at. Colby, why is he wrong? I mean, obviously you think he's wrong because (laughs) this is, this is the pleasant surprise of the season so far, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, I just got, we just got a front row seat to those short shorts this weekend. And, uh, I didn't love it, but at the same time, you know, he just threw up my man, John Stockton. So, uh, I gotta, I gotta respect, you know, built, we are, we built the statue in Salt Lake city. So, ah, man, I don't know what to think, but, uh, I, I don't see anybody in Ogden doing it, but who knows that could change. Anything could change. <laughs> now we also need a little bit of context and yeah, we're doing the short deep dive that that's why people came to the stream. I think John Knight, the third and Harrison Butler, the term, if we were, let's say we're looking at a catalog that used to be popular among certain men, a certain age. These are called boy shorts or sorry, booty shorts with how short they are. They're short enough that like the spandex they wear underneath. It's, it's not, I mean, sure. Yeah. It's performance wear, whatever it's required to keep the games from being NC 17 and still being able to be televised on Pluto. I mean, Rusty, do you, do you agree with that take? If the uh, spandex isn't there, like those we're talking FCC violation issues. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how much farther I want to go into that, but I would agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing. When John Stockton retired in 03, those should have retired at that point in time. Like, I get it. But so I, what, I, what I was thinking today is like, how do you get to the point? Like, where do you, like, you can roll the waistband only, you know, down so low, but the shorts are coming up the other way. So to me, it's like, is he doing a custom order? Like, what is he doing to those shorts or how is he ordering those shorts to get them that short? Lance, this is going to be devastating news for you. I'm actually going to ask you a question that has nothing to do with short length. Right now, big sky standing. So we're talking about pleasant <laughs> surprise. And for listeners who are saying, hey, like we're done with fashion stuff. Guess what? So are we. Lance, right now, talking about pleasant surprises, the big sky has five teams with a winning conference record. Montana State leads the way, but we also have Southern Utah, Sac State, Idaho State, and Eastern Washington as our above 500 teams. Um, of those teams, who, who in your mind is first off, is there any fool's gold in those top, in those five teams? I think Sac State is hundred percent fool's gold. I never completely buy the way they play. I like Esposito. I like Bryce Fowler as individual players. I don't like their slow run of the mill system that they run. They don't have a Josh Patton like they did last year who can block shots and catch dunks. 
I like them, but of the top five, they're the most that I don't buy at all. They're going to end probably around the fifth, sixth seed, probably bow out of the conference tournament pretty early, assuming it happens. I don't buy them being legit contenders at all. Colby, about you. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point because the two that I came up with were Sac State and Idaho State because the, the thing that I look at is like, okay, who have you played thus far in the conference and who is yet on the schedule? Sac State, they've got to play Ewu this well. Like, like, they don't get to actually that series. It's not going to happen. Or no, it is. I was thinking of something else. Uh, I was thinking of this SUU series. But they, they've got to play Ewu. They've got to play Northern Colorado. They've got to play SUU. They've got to play us. And they've got to play Montana State. That's a lot of really good top-tier talent in the conference. I don't believe. Same thing with Idaho State. They've got a number of teams that are coming up on their schedule. And, and defensively, they're a very good team. But they've got a number of teams coming up that I just I, I question whether or not they'll be able to make it above 500 or hang around that 500 because they've got Montana. They've got Eastern Washington. They've got Montana State. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> I just don't know if they can hang. Colby Gunderhead, is, it, is Idaho State or Sac State fool's goal? If I'm picking, I'm going to say it's more Sac State than anything. All right, Rusty, about you. Yeah, I would. If I was asked that question, I would not say. Well, I would say it's probably one of those two. But out of the two, I would say it's Idaho State. Uh, mainly being the reason that uh, I mean, Sac State last year they proved they were like they were like a top six defense in the nation. You know, right now they're number two in scoring defense, only allowing sixty three points two points per game this season. And Idaho State is kind of came out of nowhere for me, anyways. I I, I didn't think they're going to be playing as well as that they're playing. Uh, to me, so it would be Idaho State would be the the fool's gold. The differentiation I give here is Big Sky really most mid to low major conferences, they're going to be dictated broadly by guard play. That's part of why like heading into the season, we'll, we may get to my Vandals at some point, but heading in season, like Idaho state and Idaho were pretty consensus bottom two teams, in the conference. And I thought it was a no brainer to take Idaho state over Idaho because Idaho state had stronger guard guard play than university of Idaho. And I'm going to say the same thing about Idaho state and Sac state. I, Sac State, they can defend, but part of that is when you play half a mile an hour, there's just not that many possessions. So some of their point per game, I'd say it's not necessarily 100% correlated to being the best, like objectively defensive team in the league, but they're executing the strategy they need to. I would say I have more faith in the Idaho State, uh, Idaho State's guards, particularly Tariq Cool, Robert Ford, than what Sacramento State has. But the Idaho State thing that I will definitely point to is you cannot look at their record and have a clue about who they are. They're, they've played three non-D1 teams. So first off, you completely cannot look at anything but conference play if you want to evaluate Idaho State. And second, I, I kind of use Portland State as my barometer here. If you can handle Portland State, then you're probably mid to above middle of the conference. So Weber State is an example. They throttled Portland State first game. Uh, absolutely shot themselves in the foot in the second game, got down by 20 or something around 20 and came pretty close to coming back. They should have swept that Idaho state is different in that. Like they, they won their first game kind of narrowly, but the second game against Portland state was not particularly competitive. So if I'm using that as my barometer, even though I just talked about the Idaho state guards, I'm saying Idaho state's fool's gold, which is a great transition point guys for, we talked about pleasant surprise. There've been other surprises this season too. And I'm talking about the less pleasant variety. Lance, what is um, what's un- what has underwhelmed you the most so far? 
I think the easiest answer, and I'm sorry if any of you guys have this, it's Montana. Like any time they are at this point where they're this bad, this late in the conference play, that's a disappointment. They're a program that's supposed to be a perennial contender, and they have lost to NAU, which I cover consistently. I love the I love the Lumberjacks. They're a fun team to cover. Shamburkar is a good dude, but they're bad this year. They have one really legit great player and not a ton else. And they went up to Montana, a race of 17 nothing lead, and beat the University of Montana in Missoula. That is inexcusable if you're Montana. You don't lose that game. They haven't ever against NAU. It's been like 10 years probably since they've won a game in Missoula against Montana. They're the easy, underwhelming team. Michael Stedman has not been everything that a lot of people built him to be. They don't not in the system. So Lance, we had a little bit of an issue with the yeah, internet for a second. You mind? Yeah, you mind restating your last like ten seconds? Yeah, basically, Montana doesn't let their guards cook, and that frustrates me. So I really feel like because they don't let guys like Whitney the rest of their guards and the rest of that roster really kind of flourish. They're just underwhelming. They're not fun. They lose games that they really shouldn't. They're kind of just that meh team that expect that everyone expected to be good because they're Montana. That's your Colby. Yeah. So that, that's what I had on my list. And I, you know, I, and I drilled down specifically on offense, right? Like looking at what Montana, they've lost a lot of close games that they probably should have won losing by one point twice SUU while we've talked about it, how good of a team SUU can be and, you know, their game is inside out for sure. Uh, I mean, like you said, it's the University of Montana or like Lance mentioned, losing to NAU in Missoula. Missoula is a very, very difficult place to win. Uh, and every, anytime the Wildcats go on the road, I got to sweat a little bit, right? Because it's tough up there, man. Like, you know, last year we weren't a great team, but we were at least able to pull it off in the Purple Palace. But when you go up to Missoula, it's tough. And right now, Montana's, their offense is, you know, they're sixth in the conference, you know, pretty middling. Not great, uh, but the D is strong. So it's like they're giving themselves a chance, but they just can't convert. And turnovers seem to be an issue with that team, right? Like, you know, and like you mentioned earlier with Weber State, shooting yourself in the foot. We saw that on Saturday this, you know, just this past weekend, turn on, turning the ball over at critical times. And I feel like Montana, they got a little bit of that snake bite too, where they turn the ball over a fair bit and it causes problems for them because they already aren't scoring at a high clip. And then when you give the ball away that much more, it's just that much harder to dig out of that hole. And so when you're the University of Montana and, and the offense just isn't cooking like that, uh, where do you go? So thus far, it's been a disappointment. I think there's a potential. I, Travis DeCure, is a, he's a great coach. He always seems to outcoach Randy Ray, and that frustrates me to no end, but he's great. And so could he change? I don't know. It depends on how, how much he's going to stick with his scheme and what he's trying to accomplish. But thus far, like Lance said, really disappointing uh, for them when – they're always expected to be a top four team in the conference. Rusty, you're going to, we can keep on on Montana if you want, Rusty. And I know oh, that no. that's and, an Eastern pastime. And uh, I, I agree with everything that's been said about Montana. And, uh, and one thing I wanted to see was Montana, Montana state. I was just talking about Montana state earlier that those games were canceled uh, due to, you know, COVID issues. Another game I wanted to see was Eastern Washington play against Weber state. And what I'm getting at here is the biggest 
disappointment to me this season is being unable to reschedule games or find a way to reschedule games. Uh, I mean, there's been multiple games so far this season that I would just love to watch just to kind of compare to where your team's at compared to the other teams at, and maybe give us a better idea who's who in the zoo. But we've seen through football season, even with basketball season, the creativity from the athletic directors to make games happen with uh, Eastern going to Arizona, uh, you know, a couple days later, they find out right after a game and they're a couple days later, they're in Arizona playing a game. So to me, the biggest appointment of the season uh, is just being unable to reschedule these games. Yeah. Before I bring up my, my point up too, I want to hear from both Colby and Lance on, on that because, and Lance, you might know just from being a reporter, yeah. uh, maybe some more ins and outs than we do. I know that before, this is before the fall football season was canceled. I heard an inter interview with Commissioner Tom Wistersill, who's been a friend of all of our shows. Well, I don't know if he's a friend of your shows, Lance, but you're more, you're less niche than just Big Sky. But uh, Tom Wistersill, Dan Satter, they've been nothing but friendly to, uh, to all of our shows. Uh, so we love them, like the job they're doing, except maybe with this one thing, where I remember interviewing Tom Wistersill saying, before the football season had to do with teams starting their practice. And what he, he said, the mantra was we, with the pandemic, like fairness just needs to be out the window. We just need to do what we can to get teams ready to go and play games. And when he said for, said that for football, I absolutely figured, Hey, you know what? That makes sense. It's a pandemic. We're just trying to have a season. I, d I don't understand why that dynamic doesn't exist in basketball because we certainly have teams that, are close enough that you could easily reschedule games or a week. If you have a week where games are canceled, look, guys aren't going to die playing a couple extra games during the week. So I, I know I'm confused about why that's not on the table, but let's hear from Lance, let's hear from Lance and Colby. Yeah. I've been very skeptical about that rule because it's been broken. Like NAU and Eastern Washington, they broke it. They had NAU had to cancel two weeks worth of games because of a, COVID, a positive COVID case within the program. That included U of A, and I think an early Eastern Washington series that they rescheduled. The policy says they aren't supposed to do that, but they did it. Well, well, that's the inconsistency that really just doesn't make sense to me. And I know they aren't the only ones that have found ways just to reschedule a series, maybe because it was in that early window before January, but you had that large window. Why didn't you let teams schedule more conference games during that big window to give yourself more bye weeks to reschedule games? They're supposed to hit a minimum amount for the NCAA tournament. And if Eastern Washington, for example, if they had more games get canceled, they would have been screwed out of the NCAA tournament bid because they couldn't get enough games to play. I don't, it's just counterintuitive to not let teams reschedule when the whole point is to send a team to the NCAA tournament and get that shared revenue. That's the whole point of playing. It's all about money. It's all about finances. Why not get as many games as you can? That's why NEU played a ton of non-conference games against some big teams like Gonzaga, like U of A, because they needed that money that they missed out from the football season. Yeah, so a couple things on this, because we had Tom Wistersoul on our podcast about two weeks ago, and we wanted to ask this question specifically because there was a series against Idaho State that got canceled. They are very close. It's an hour and a half from Ogden, uh, so we assumed that would be an easy one to reschedule. I'm with Rusty as well. Uh, seeing that series get canceled between Weber State and Eastern Washington, we were bummed because there was a huge question mark on our program going into the season. We did not know what to expect with nine new transfers in, and 
uh, we're going to we we really wanted to go and see how we stacked up against the odds on favorite for the conference championship. Right. But what the commissioner told us was that if the the, the, the issue was testing, he's like, you know, you've got it. You got a team coming back potentially on a Sunday. Uh, you have to test them at, during this interval and all of this stuff. And so he, he made it sound like it was mostly logistical and. I, I'm kind of with Lance, though, where like we had this big, wide period in December where there was basically nothing happening. And why weren't we more why weren't we more judicious with our time then to try and schedule some of this to make room for the way that we have in the football schedule potential cancellations so that there would be space to reschedule? Because I would love to see that EWU schedule or that EWU series rescheduled. It's probably not going to happen. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of the answer that, that they gave us. But, uh, yeah, I kind of wish that it were different because there are a couple series that I'd like to have back. And when you say couple, you, of course, mean all series, just like every fan base would like to have all their series back. I wish Eastern could have all their games back because that's one of the difficulties right now in comparing teams is Eastern's got five games in conference in. And my top disappointment hasn't missed a game yet. And that my, my disappointment, obviously, it's Idaho. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on the Idaho podcast. I spend a lot of time covering these guys, but I think this for this is for the entire conference that Idaho is a just devastating disappointment right now. And the thing that I'm going to point to is Lance touched on it already that getting an NCAA tournament bid, ideally getting our best shot at winning an NCAA tournament bid, is one of the points of the season. And getting that money from a win is a huge deal, would be a huge deal for this conference. We don't have a win in the NCAA tournament in the Big Sky. I believe 2006 the last time. It was a University of Montana team has our last Big Sky win. And one of the keys to getting that bit that win is just getting seated, seated better than 14 or 15, where you need a historic upset to to get to get to round two. Where or, whereas if you get a 12 seed or a 13 seed. You, you have a much more favorable favorable opponent. You have a better chance of getting a team that is seated that well. I mean, they're a good team, but partially because they're slightly overrated. And for a small major conference, for, yeah, mid to small major conference, you do need a good matchup to get those wins. And, man, Idaho is doing its best to destroy the strength of schedule, the big sky. <laughs> I, I have an over-under game I want to play for you guys. I know you've all done research, so I'm going to ask you to not open any new tabs. Okay. Scoring margin in the big sky. Big Sky has been a very competitive conference. We we could one of our pleasant surprises could easily have been how many splits we've seen with the back to backs that we're, that we're playing. Unless you're playing Idaho, Idaho has the worst scoring margin in the league. NAU has the second worst scoring margin in the league. My over or under is Idaho's scoring margin over or under ten points worse. Than NAU scoring margin. Start. Rusty says over. Oh, Lance over. says over. Colby. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna take under. If these guys are both going over. I'm Ooh. just gonna go opposite. I'm just gonna do it. They are literally a, a, a dumpster fire. That is what we're seeing. They're terrible. Well, Brian, so, how often you complain about their mid range jumpers? It's got to be over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lance is kind of my therapist on talk about the mid range jumpers, and <laughs> it's over. Idaho's scoring NAU's scoring margin is negative 3.4. That's the second worst in the conference. And just as a reference point, no, that's not bad at all. If you're a casual fan, you're wondering, what does that mean? 
Well, I mean, it means NAU has been in a lot of one possession games. Yeah. It means NAU, look, they're not winning a ton of games, but they're, they're competitive. Idaho scoring margin, negative 13.9. Just barely. Yeah, negative, negative 13.9. We are, we're just not competitive. We're in year two of a new head coach. We're one of three teams, I believe, or no, four, no, four teams. One of four teams with a second year head coach. And oh, it's yeah, re- Montana State's got second-year coach Danny Sprinkle, Idaho yep. State, Ryan Looney, Northern Arizona, Shane Burkar. We've got Zach Kloss. NAU definitely showed some growth last season. Lance, I don't know how you feel about this team, this team this year compared to last season. I don't know if you'd call it growth, but they are competitive. Idaho State's certainly shown growth. We covered that, hey, maybe that's not as much growth as we think because they haven't hit the meat of their schedule. Montana State, the jury's in. This is the best start that the Bobcats have had in a long time. Idaho is moving backwards. We are on pace to open a new arena yeah. in 2021, rolling on nine Division One wins in three years. We have absolutely seen no growth. I could spend now tons of the club fans that already know my take on on the team, but broadly speaking, there isn't there isn't really much promise if you look at this roster right now about any sort of turnaround and. I want big sky teams to be competitive in the NCAA tournament. And we, part of that is we, the good teams have to be elite relative to mid to low major, but the bottom of the conference cannot destroy people's strength of schedule the way Idaho is. And that's just where we are. That's why I call them my, uh, my biggest disappointment, but we're going to quit the Idaho pity party because I'll just be direct messaging you guys afterward anyway. So it's going to go on. Considering all the stuff we talked about, I want to know we're halfway through the season. We've seen a lot of different variables, a lot of inter- interesting things. Colby, to you, what is the, and I'm talking about non-coronavirus. Now, if you want to talk about like how the scheduling plays out, that's fine, but we're trying to just not talk about coronavirus as the issue. What is the story in your mind of the big Scott first half of the big sky men's basketball season? Yeah. So like you both just mentioned, like everybody here mentioned that all of this is, you know, to build up to the conference tournament and then, you know, we'll crown a champion and send that champion off to the NCAA tournament in the hopes that they can maybe do something in the tournament, maybe upset somebody. And, you know, that creates revenue for the conference, which is good for everybody. Right. So right now, to me, the biggest story is the fact that, like you said, the conference is very competitive. And as we lead up to Boise in March and we look forward to seeding and who's going to be playing who, I think we're going to have a very, very thrilling conference in Boise. Should it happen? Because we saw what happened last year and it got shut down, which is really disappointing for a lot of teams. Not so disappointing for us because we had already gone home. <laughs> but I think we're going to see a very, very competitive and and anything can happen. You know, like we've like we've seen thus far, uh, there have been some very close games. And there are a lot of teams that could knock off another team. We've seen a lot of splits. And so when it's just one game, who knows what can happen in Boise? And uh, that's what I'm looking forward to most is the fact that there's pretty decent parity. There's some upstart teams. There's some wacky things happening, which not necessarily good for strength of schedule, like you said, in seeding. But if you're just a fan of Big Sky basketball and you want to see something entertaining in Boise, I think you're going to get it this year because very, very close and anything could happen. That's you, Rusty. Yeah, well, it, yes, this is kind of an after effect of Corona, but to me, it's still a story with everything that Colby just said. 
in regards to the schedule, in regards to like how it's laid out, playing the back-to-back opponents, you know, three days apart, because the biggest thing that the coaches have to game plan for that. I mean, it is so difficult for a coach who just lost or who just won to game plan for to play that same opponent again, right? Because there's going to be uh, counters from each team and whatnot. And to me, that just further proves how good Montana State is. I mean, Danny Sprinkle and company have done an outstanding job of their coaching job throughout the season. And uh, it is going to be very interesting as we get closer to the conference tournament. But to me, that's the biggest reason why we're seeing so many splits is due to these back-to-back games playing the same opponent. Colby, we already heard from Colby. Forgive me, listeners. Lance. I'm kind of taking a similar route to Colby, except more so player-based. Like, we've seen so many players be able to carry their teams that once we get to Big Sky and Boise, anyone can beat anyone. Eastern Washington and Montana State are my favorites right now. But NAU pushed Montana State this past weekend just because Cameron Shelton is so freaking good at basketball. NAU can win games just by him going out for 25-10-7 if on a good day if they can get some shots from other guys. That's the entire conference to me outside of Idaho. Everyone has a guy that can go off for 20 to 30 on any given night. And you can beat the other team just because one dude goes off and the rest of your team follows suit. That's going to make the tournament so fun to watch guys like Cam Shelton, Isaiah Brown, Xavier Bishop has been fun to watch. All those shifty guards that the conference has this year going up against each other in the conference tournament is going to make it so much more entertaining and just more liable for those fun upsets that you don't know. NAU could pull an upset. Montana State could destroy Eastern Washington because Xavier Bishop and Adamu go off for 35 points combined or something. To me, the story is it's a slightly different take on Lance, which you just brought up, which is I think you need to view this big sky season through two lenses because we always, we always have local level about you know what, what we're actually doing within our conference and then the national level of are we beginning to have a national footprint and at the local level the middle of this conference is gigantic as in in our tournament at this point seeds well i mean what do you i don't think the difference between the number two seed and the number eight seed in terms of quality of play right now is that big a difference i think that seniority uh can kind of explain how you know some teams are being a little more stable than others. And when I say seniority, I just you might even just say coaching seniority. You know, an example at Weber State, like Colby talked about, ton of new guys, worst season ever to have to integrate a ton of new guys, and Weber's looking pretty good. But the the dark the downside is that though the middle of this conference is gigantic, I think at this point there's no elite team that you'd look at this moment and say you know what, that's our chance to win in March. And the comparison I'm going to give is if you look at like 2014-15 Eastern Washington, I feel like that was a team where you could look at them and feel pretty comfortable uh, about how they would look in the first round in March. And that team, of course, I mean, actually Tyler Harvey tweaked his ankle against Georgetown. If he doesn't tweak his ankle, maybe that game's different. But this year, I don't see that team that I'd say this is our this is our best hope to win at the conference tournament. I mean, in the NCAA tournament, which again, circles back to fans just need to love the season we have right now. We have a ton of competitive games. It sucks that we're not going to win in March and I'll go on record. Now we're not going to win in March, but we're going to have a ton of, we're going to keep having a ton of split double headers like we've been having. 
And if you are just a broad Big Sky fan, you can watch seriously like three or four games every Saturday morning where it's going to end in one or two possessions. And that is, in my mind, not close to average, which is the part that to me is kind of special. And again, why at the local level, fans just need to be happy with what we have. It's a weird season. It sucks that we're, I don't think we're going to win in, in March, but this is one of the most fun big sky seasons I can remember for a while because I truly, when I look at the games that are going on, ton of close ones, and it's pretty dang tough. Uh, at least I'm not betting any money on it this year because I'd be getting my ass kicked, which is going to be a great transition point, guys, for quick shout out to the uh, sponsor, to some of the sponsors we have helping us out on the Big Sky Podcast Network. Uh, that are helping us keep all of us individual podcasts keep the li- either keep the lights on or continue growing our download footprint. Quick thank you to Montucky Cold Snack supporting us at Tubs the Clubs, Jeremiah Johnson Brewing Company supporting RR Cat Cast. They're not here, they're still recovering from some news about some guy named Jeff Choate. But hey, Bobcats, there's some good basketball news. Listen to our RR Cat Cast and buy some Jeremiah Johnson when you need it. And last, we have wildcatrack.com supporting Weaver State Weekly. They are putting out some original and licensed, that's right, Colby, licensed Weaver State apparel. If you're supporting the Purple Rain, go to wildcatrack.com. And I just gave them a full ad read. What the hell? Trend, we're, we're going to shift here. Last question about the conference as a whole before we go and before we pick our all-conference all team. Who, Rusty, of all teams we talked about, now we're talking about second half, we're speculating. Which team in your mind has the most intrigue heading into the second half? I've done pretty well. I've gone about 35, 40 minutes without talking about Eastern Washington. I think that's pretty well. But I'm going to go on a little spiel here and talk about Eastern Washington basketball because uh, going into the season, they lost two seniors, Mason Peeling, the big sky MVP, and Tyler Kidd. Uh, they're still a really young team. So going into the season, I thought, you know, down my mind that they should I mean the synergies there. They have all the guys there. Tanner Gross, I've talked about him all summer long. Uh, I thought they're just going to roll through competition. I really did. And playing that first game uh, against WSU, which they should have won, they could argue, I mean, you could argue that they should have won the game. Arizona, they played tough. St. Mary's, they played tough. And then, you know, Corona, it hit them. They went on a 25, 25 day of no games, right? So there's multiple games that had to be canceled. Uh, and I think that really did affect them uh, because they split the series with Southern Utah and uh, University of Northern Colorado, and eat, all the games that they played, it wasn't it, they didn't wow me. They didn't wow the coaches. Uh, it, so to me, it's just kind of figuring out what team do we have right now with Eastern Washington because they were the favorites to win, you know, the Big Sky this year. But right now, the way that they're playing, they're not to me look like they are the favorites to win the Big Sky. That being said, uh, at the three quarter mark, halfway point of last year, there was a two game series, or there's two games that stuck out to me where Eastern Washington kind of made the turn and you saw a different team throughout the rest of the season. I was against Southern Utah where they went over time. Mason Peatling hit a big shot. And then University of Northern Colorado, well, where they, I believe they went over time again. And after that point, they kind of flipped the switch. And, and to me, that's kind of where we're at the point right now. If you look at the last game against University of Northern Colorado, 
you saw some very unique lineups that you just didn't see at all last year, at all this year. This was the first time. And uh, I talked to one of the coaches, and they're just trying to find the right rotation, that, that that right connection, having that perfect synergy on the court. And they're just kind of fine-tuning things. And, uh, I mean, we are seeing some absolutely monster play from Tanner Groves, a.k.a. Psycho T. He's playing like a madman, almost averaging, you know, a double-double. And to me, you can't saddle a Mustang. So you're not going to be able to slow him down. But someone who's not been performing or two players that haven't been performing to the standard that they can play at is Jacob Davison and Kim Aiken Jr. Both those dudes are absolute studs. They haven't, they're not playing to their full potential at this point. So I'm very much looking forward and I'm very intrigued to see how Eastern Washington is going to kind of respond and going to turn the corner. But if this is a team that picks up steam, uh, this is not a team that I would want to play in the Big Sky Conference tournament. Lance, about you. Eastern Washington, of course, is the easy answer. Obviously, Russ just had a very detailed explanation. I'm going to actually go off the team he also mentioned, Northern Colorado. They play exactly how my nerdy brain thinks basketball should be played. They make threes, and they keep you from making threes. They're best in the big sky in, what is it? Yeah, they're tops in the big sky in conference only in three-point percentage allowed. Teams are only shooting 26% from three against them in conference play. Granted, that's just Montana, Montana State, Idaho, and Eastern Washington, but still, and Idaho State. So that's a couple games that, like, that's legit. They guard the three ball and they shoot 37.7% from deep. Their offense is as good as anybody's and they stop you from getting threes. That's the type of team you don't want to play, especially in a one and done tournament, let alone the rest of the season when if they stop you from hitting threes and they're hitting, you're not going to beat that, especially with a guy like Bodie Hume, who I have dubbed the swaggiest player in the league because he has never found a shot he doesn't like. I watched one game where he just pulled off a couple quick screens, caught it, shot it with a dude on his hip. He doesn't care. That's the way Northern Colorado plays. I love the way that team rolls. And if you're playing them, you're worried about any other guys that their defense just stopping you any given day. I'm going to go a different direction. And I may be disappointing the panelists here. I think Montana is the most intriguing team of the second half. And I say that because Montana, they, they've essentially lost only one score games. Except, I, sorry, I'm wrong. They lost a double overtime game by, by six or seven. Other than that, they have five big sky losses, all single digits. That is hap- they, they have this odd mix of their, as far as like how many points allowed, they're a very good defensive team. Mm-hmm. They're, when I recorded on Grizz Fan a little bit ago, Montana had the second best points allowed defense of the last seven years this season, which they couple with a, it was, I believe it was the second worst scoring offense of the last seven years. The seven year benchmark is Travis DeCure's first year. That's how far I went back. Actually I went way further back, but we don't need to talk about like 2009 right now. <laughs> they're, so their, their records three and five, but that's with just an atrocious absolutely awful offense and i made the mistake of rewatching the second half of the nau game where lance montana took 19 total shots in the second yeah. half when they yeah. gave away that they gave away that game i was i was really frustrated about whether travis decure was going to accept that his running and this is this is another confusing point we're not gonna do a deep dive here but montana was it's generous to say they're running a system they were running post isos 
almost every time down the floor. Every time that Stedman or Owens got the ball, if they weren't, if they didn't have a foot actually on the block, I don't mean figuratively like around the basket. If their foot was not inside the key, it was just a bad possession. Against Sac State last week, they finally went guard heavy and they did lose in double overtime, but they at least put some points on the board. And if you're going to talk about a team losing because of youth, I'm fine saying Montana is going to have some growing pains getting their freshmen and sophomore guards used to taking over games when they haven't had any sort of chance. So I am curious. That's the team that I kind of want to watch because really that Montana team with the league average offense has one big sky loss right now. If they can put together with their, with guys like Brandon Whitney, who to me, Brandon Whitney is probably the best looking freshman. If you put him on a team like Eastern Washington, he's certain giving him the minutes. Of course he has now he's not averaging 10 points a game. He's averaging like 15 or 16 with the kind of freedom and creativity that a place like Eastern is going to give him or Southern Utah would have given him. If that team can, can give us a league average offense, then that's a real threat to, to be a team that actually capitalizes on these close games. Colby about you. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, looking at the schedule, what, what remains with the next half, the team that I chose was Southern Utah actually, because they have now gone through pretty much the gauntlet. They've played a lot of the top tier teams in the conference. And now looking at what that, what remains for them, They've got Northern Colorado. That'll be a decent series for them. But then they've got Sac State, Northern Arizona, Portland State. That's what they're closing out the season with. And uh, with a, as good a team as they are, and especially, you know, their their game is very inside out. They like to get to the basket. They like to get the bigs in foul trouble. Um, th- that could create a lot of problems for folks, especially like you, you mentioned Northern Colorado, is a, or Lance mentioned Northern Colorado is a team that wants to keep you from shooting threes. They do that well. Tavian Percy is, or Tavian Jones is really, really good at that. But at the same time, they like to play inside, you know. Uh, they really did a number on the Wildcats this last week. And I think that looking at what remains in their schedule and how talented they are, and especially Todd Simons is a really great coach. He really knows how to scheme. He really was ready in that second game against the Wildcats. Uh, they, they're a team that could really, they could pull, they could begin to create a lot of space between themselves and everyone else, especially if maybe Montana state hits a bump in the road or something, then all of a sudden everyone's looking at SUU going, wow, how, how do we catch up? Because what, like we've seen, we don't know if series are going to get canceled or not. Um, you know, this weekend their series is, is canceled. So that sucks, but going forward, if they can stay healthy and if other programs find themselves in trouble with COVID in their locker room and hopefully everyone, you know, ends up okay. Uh, they, they very well could end up a one or a two seed with their remaining schedule. So it'll be intriguing to watch because they've got a lot of weapons. They've got a lot of talent like we've talked about and man, it, it could really happen for them. So I'll be watching. So Colby going to throw it right back to you too with this Southern Utah is your most intriguing team. Put on your fit, your Weber state fanboy hat for a second. <laughs> Okay. Tell me, the, just give me a couple set, sentences about the single team you don't want to see Weber draw first we first first game in Boise. Yeah, so what I put down was Montana State right now because they are keeping opponents to uh, opposing opponents to thirty nine percent shooting. They are holding teams to just sixty seven points, and uh, that that and that that could be really be a problem for the Wildcats because they've had issues with when the three is not falling. Mm, they're struggling. Lance, I know you're not, you don't have an NAU fanboy hat, but let's pretend you do. Who's the one team you don't want NAU to see first, first round in Boise.
think we lost Lance for the moment, so I'm going to throw that to Rusty. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm here. Uh, so, I mean, everything that Colby said, I, I agree with, you know, Montana State is the answer for me. I think they're a really, uh, they can be a really scary team. And two dudes, uh, to be more specific on, is Xavier Bishop and Jabril Bello, man. They're, the dudes can play basketball, and they're fun to watch to play basketball as well. And uh, they can score at all levels. They're playing defensive. They're, they're forcing you to take bad shots. To me, uh, come to tourney time, this is not a team that I would want my team to draw initially. And before Lance gets back, I'm just going to pretend that I, I don't have an Idaho hat to throw on because it doesn't matter who we play. I'm going to pretend for a second that I'm – Y'all got me Washington. now. My internet, my internet just crapped out. Sorry. That's okay, man. The uh, the question we have, which I'm about to answer, then I'll throw it to you, is who's the one team you hope you guys, do, your team, does not see first round in Boise? And I am going to say, look, I, I know I just talked about Montana, but I am going to say Montana again just because Montana has uh, one, they're a strong defensive team, and it's not shocking to see teams in a neutral court. If your team is reliant on shooting, not that that's a problem because we modern basketball, good teams rely on shooting from outside. That's just a reality of most teams right now. But Montana can certainly hold teams on the defensive end, and they don't rely on sh on threes as much, honestly, as much as they should. Montana has the highest three-point shooting percentage in the league. Now they don't take that many threes. That's part of why. They're essentially only shooting open threes. But relative to Travis DeCure's history, and but really not his history, his history matters. But the big thing for me that, I that I'm going to focus on is in spite of playing just wretchedly on the offensive end, they're still in all of these games. And I'm, I believe Travis DeCure is the best defensive coach in the league, just like I think Shantae Leggins is probably the best offensive coach in the league. And in round one in the big sky, I don't – I don't want to have to scheme against the the coach uh, who's taken his team to NCAA tournament last two times we've had a berth. So Lance, close us out. I know you're not. Again, you're not an NAU fan. You cover them, but let's yeah. pretend you are. Let's pretend you you are, <laughs> and this is your reality. Who do you, who does NAU not want to see in round one? And for what it's worth, I'm an NAU graduate, so basically, I if I'm NAU, I don't want to play Idaho State. It's weird. I get it. They're not the best team, but like. NAU was upset by a bad Idaho State, Idaho State team last year before the base guy tournament was cut short. If you're NAU, you don't want to play them because you already have that bad loss in your mouth being the higher, higher seed a year ago and getting beat by a very low seed and honestly a very bad 2019-2020 Idaho State team. That team had no business beating NAU a year ago, and they did. Sure, maybe if you're NAU, you have a chip on your shoulder. If you're Cam Shelton, Luka Dolovich, guys that were there, you want to beat them. But really, after what I watched here in Flagstaff when Idaho State came to town and kind of beat the crap out of NAU, you don't want to play that team. Tarek, Cool, Robert Ford, those two guards are legit. I actually think they're two of the better guards that not a lot of people talk about in the big sky. I like their coach. I like what Ryan Looney is doing with that team. I think they're kind of underrated. And if you're NAU, you don't want to play them. 
I, I want to give one honorable mention uh, just because I think their two and two conference record kind of, it, it, I don't think people are paying enough attention to them as if they play more games and that's Weber state. I think this is a really scary team with the amount of transfers that they've had. And this is a team that's only going to get better as the season continues. If they played more games, I think we'd be talking about Weber state a lot more in this podcast so far. I mean, they got depth as well. I mean, Isaiah Brown, the dude is phenomenal. Zaire Porter, I think he's shooting like oh, like 50% from three-point land. You know, the guy's playing out of his mind. So this is a team to me that deserves an honorable mention. Yeah, I agree with Russ. Yeah, Weaver State's scary. And they're also huge. They play so many bigs. If you don't have the size to match that, you're going to struggle. Yeah, it's such a it's such a strange thing because we haven't had that front court in a number of years. Like there were there were years where we go up to Montana and just get just absolutely bullied in the post just could not do anything against those guys because they just had so much size on us and basically we just had guard play so they would shut down Jarek Harding and Cody Johns you know like the last time we saw them in the 2019 tournament uh how'd that go you know we were down 40 at the half because John and Jarek Harding couldn't cut to the basket and that was that so having that kind of big court that front court right now in Ogden really weird but nice yeah and you know outscoring teams by 11 points per game in conference will help you look like a team people don't want to play in the, in the first round tournament. And that, that is Weber. That is, Rusty's right. That is kind of under radar thing. They've got the best scoring margin in the league. Only like a 25-point difference between Weber at the top of league scoring margin and Idaho at the bottom scoring league in league scoring margin, which, hey, we get to see those, those two teams play. So maybe we'll have a 25-point uh, game. But Rusty, Rusty also, talking about Weber, he hit, hit some more specific players. And I want us to do a quick snake draft of our just a first team all big sky. We're not doing the MVP plus five where it'd be six players. We're just going to do a draft of five and then three honorable mentions. We want, we're going to try to get some forwards in there unofficially. I'm saying our, our team is two guards, two forwards and a wild card really just means we don't want to pick five point guards as our all, all big sky team. But to start us off, First pick in the draft, Colby. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit already, and Lance, I'm going to snake you on this one, but Cameron Shelton. I mean, that kid has just been absolutely dynamite for those guys on a team that has not necessarily been the best. You know, right now, he's leading the conference in his field goal percentage. Let me let me pull it up really fast. Like, he's, he's leading in scoring. He's leading in a number of really key statistics. And it's like, wow, this kid, you know, and he's playing on a team that is dangerous. He's leading in steel. Well, he's actually tied with steals right now with our freshman Dylan Jones, but like the, the kid is just really doing it all. And I mean, that's the guy that I want on my team right now because his assistant turnover ratio is dynamite. Like it's just takes care of the ball. He, he scores, he finds a way to get to the basket. Like, yeah, that's a guy I want on my team. Rusty, you're going to have our second pick, but Give us a little bit of your take on Cam Shelton before we hear who the number two player is. It's just, well, first, I want to say that uh, Lance put out an article today on Cam Shelton, and he did broke it down phenomenally. The dude is just, he's balling out of his mind. And like NAU's, I don't think they're a great team. I don't think they got great depth. And I think that just speaks more volumes to what he's doing there. And the, he's doing everything. He's filling up the entire stat sheet. He's a very active player. With that being said, I'll give you my kind of second pick, and that's <laughs> I just mentioned him a second ago, Isaiah Brown uh, with Weber State. I mean, he's scoring almost 19 points per game. It's his second in the big sky. He's almost shooting 47% from the field. He's seventh in big sky in assists. The dude's got great vision. I watched a lot of Isaiah Brown tape today because 
once I saw a little bit, I wanted more. The dude can score at all levels. He is an absolute problem, and he does a great job at using his body uh, when he's scoring. And what I'm getting at is he, if he, he does a great job at having fouls committed on him, and which is a bigger problem because he's shooting 82% from the free throw line. Uh, this guy has scored 20 plus the last three games. There was only one game that he, he scored eight points in, but that was against uh, Yellowstone Christian. He played like 17 minutes in that game. So uh, this is a guy that he, he's going to be causing a lot of team problems. Not, not only has he, but he's going to continue this trend. And a son of the state of Washington. So, yeah, Isaiah Brown, he, I think everyone in the league, after seeing Jarek Harding run the show in Weaver for four years, and also to a lesser extent, Cody John was a very solid second guard for the last couple of years. I think a lot of Big Sky fans were wondering, what is Weaver going to do in their backcourt? And uh, now, Colby, tell me if I'm correct. They had their third guard from last year transferred, didn't he? Uh, so... There, there was a there was a kid that that was a freshman last year that's really had an impact, and his name's KJ Cunningham. So KJ has really good court vision, and so there was sort of a thought that well, maybe he would be the guy. Um, that's that's who I would think is kind of like the next obvious. But then getting Isaiah Brown in as, as a graduate transfer to say okay, like he's going to take the reins, like that's really made a huge difference for the Wildcats this year. Yeah, but uh, Isaiah Brown is one of the most fun guards to watch. Real fast, great, then a great score. And one of the big reasons why Weber's had a ton of new guys to integrate and relative to having a ton of games canceled in conference too, they're looking fine. They, they are looking like a team that'll compete at the end for at the end of the season in Boise. I am going to go to the big man in Eastern, which honestly start of the season. I would not have said, I expect the, I expect Tanner Groves to be the player on Eastern Washington. I'm going to point to as first team all big sky. And that's my selection, Tanner Groves. Groves came off the bench for the most part last year. And if you've seen him play, he was, he's been solid for, for quite a while. But if, unless you're a hardcore Eastern fan, there is, I don't think there's anyone who thought, you know what, they're going to graduate the MVP and they might be better off at the five, five position than they were last year. Groves averaging 21, 21.4 points in big sky play. Number three, number three in the league, number two in rebounding at nine per game field goal percentages, just under 63%. And you know what you want to say? Like, Hey, he's shooting mostly close shots. Well, he's getting mostly close shots. That's what you need to do when you're a guy like him. So Tanner Groves to me, jury's in definitely the best post in the league in my mind. And it's been, a, it's been pretty fun to see the just one year jump because it's, again, it's not like he was bad last year. He was, he's been a solid contributor for a couple of years, but the jump that we've seen out of Tanner Groves, especially consider Eastern is not a team like Montana who tries to shove it down the post throat all the time. Now, of course you spread the ball. It's harder to collapse on the post. That's part of what's fun about Eastern. But if you want to talk about a guy who responded when his number was called, I'm going to say we, have, I'm going to say that's Tanner Groves. So Lance, give us your thoughts and then give us your pick. Well, for one, thank you, Rusty, for the shout out. My story on Cam Shelton. I definitely good pick by Kobe there. Tanner Groves was really good. I'm gonna agree with Brian that like he it, the way he plays really fits exactly what Eastern Washington does. So I'm gonna take a little bit different turn. The second non guard off the board. I'm gonna go with Tevian Jones from Southern Utah. I like long, lanky wings that can score the ball. He doesn't do a ton else. He only averages four boards and one assist. But Duke can put the ball in the hoop, and to win basketball games, that's what you got to do. So, I mean, 
he runs Southern Utah. They're better because of what he's been able to do. That's what they were missing last year. A guy that can just hit five, five triples in one game out of nowhere. Cause John Knight, he's not really a three point shooter. He's a rim to rim guy. Harrison Butler, same thing. They needed a guy like Tevian Jones and he's done it. He's exactly what puts them over that hump into contention. And Colby, you get our last pick for our top five team. Then we'll go over a few also rands. And because we got two forwards, man, you get a pick guard forward, whatever you want. Close us out. Yeah. So uh, this is really interesting because the list that we've compiled thus far is exactly the list that I have. So my final one, I, I you guys can tell me what you think and, and we could talk more about this, but I took uh, Sac State's Ethan Esposito because looking at what that kid has been able to do this year with the team, Sac State, like we talked about, maybe some fool's gold there, not a team that we necessarily believe in based on the schedule that they've played. But looking at where he ranks in, in the conference, you know, he's in, he's third in scoring. He's second behind only Tanner Groves in rebounding, which we just talked about what a monster Tanner Groves has been. He's a great free throw shooter. Uh, Esposito does so many nice things for you. And, and it's a guy that, you know, when I, when I was trying to put together my team, I was looking for, I want that guy who can score for me. And then I want that big who can clean the glass for me. And as I did more research, I was like, oh, Tanner Gross and Ethan Esposito do both of those things for me. So I'll take that. <laughs> so that's the guy I went with. Uh, tell me what you guys think. Well, Rusty, before you make your first also ran pick, is how do you, how do you like Ethan Esposito rounding out our, our top five? No, it, it, it's funny. Colby said that because uh, I had a similar five, uh, no, the same exact five uh, for all the picks that you guys said. And I think Ethan Esposito is a great pick. I mean, he's, He's doing it uh, at all levels, uh, especially in a team that's when you look weapon wise, it, there's just not a lot of that. There's just not a lot there. So uh, I think it was a great pick. And who, who is your first also ran rusty? Well, okay. So I'm going to say in statistically speaking, I mean, he's not the highest up there, but the way that this guy's getting the job done, uh, it's just, He's an unbelievable player, and that's John Knight the third. And he's scoring 11.9 points per game, and I think that number is going to go up. But if you watch him play, regardless of the short shorts, the, he is an aggressive guard. He's a very fun guard to watch. Like he doesn't care if he's driving up uh, against Tanner Groves, against it, a center, uh, or shooting threes. Uh, it, he's a fearless guard, and he's just extremely fun to watch. This is going to shock me because I'm going to add another post in here, but we, we have to have representation for Montana state. They've got, they've got no losses. I know they're not, this isn't making our team, but we have to at least acknowledge. Now the problem with Montana state is they probably have, they've got three guys who all of us would easily love to have on our team. No question. And kind of sorting, sorting out which one gets all big sky. I guess that's tough. I'm going to go with Jabril Bello. Double, double machine. Definitely not the, <clears throat> the most flashy guy on their team, but one of the better posts in the league great guy you'd love to have as I don't know if you call big sky centers rim protectors. Cause it's not like we have guys like flying around for a ton of block shots, but <clears throat> Jabril Bell has been productive. He's steady. He's kind of Montana state's rock rock in the post. And we, I just have to throw some love for them. If you're going to, if you're going to be as good as, as they are, we at least need to pretend someone, one of their guys going to make the team. So Jabril Bell is my pick Lance close us out with our last jet just missed the cut. Who, who you take? I mean, you kind of took my thunder. I was going to go with a Montana State guy and Xavier Bishop, but because you went bellow, I got to go Jacob Davidson. It's kind of a longevity thing. He's been so good for so long. You can't ignore 
one of the best players on one of the best teams. You could pick Xavier Bishop and not be wrong because he's the best point guard on a undefeated Montana State Bobcats team. So really, either way, Eileen Davidson, just because I kind of like the more off-ball guys a bit more. He plays off. He gets the shot in other ways. Bishop's that prototypical 5'9", shifty little point guard that kind of does everything. I like Davidson. I've liked his game at Eastern Washington. And with that, Lance, we're going to call – that's our midseason report. I want to thank everyone for, for downloading. Make sure to subscribe to any of the Big Sky Podcast Network shows because, look, if you're wanting to, to get Big Sky content, full disclosure, guys, this is where you go to get it. If you want, you want coverage of Weber State, download Weber State Weekly. If your team is playing Eastern Washington, you want to know Eastern Washington scouting report best teams, download Eagles Power Hour, follow Rusty on Twitter, Lance is, Lance is the NAU guy as well as being the Big Sky representation on Mid-Major Madness. And if you're a Vandal fan or if you're a Vandal hate watcher, obviously we have tubs of the club represented here, but we have other shows, the Big Sky Podcast Network for sure. Grizz Fan Pod's a good one. Montana Mid-Sports if they ever come out of hibernation. And we also have Clawcast, Aaron, Aaron Rath covering Northern Colorado. This is part of why I tell everyone you just have to download, you just have to follow at Big Sky Podcasts subscribe to all our streams, give us all ratings and you are, you'll be the most informed big sky fan in the nation. All right. You know, at least top 20. Thank you for downloading. We'll see you next time.